Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care, and with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. Big news out of the Department of Justice this week. Attorney General Merrick Garland has appointed a special counsel to handle the federal investigations involving Donald Trump. This includes the January 6th investigation and the Mar-a-Lago documents investigation. In other news, Manhattan prosecutors are reportedly reviving another criminal investigation into Donald Trump, this time focusing on the alleged hush money payment made to Stormy Daniels. And the Senate is considering landmark legislation that would provide federal protection for same-sex and interracial marriages. Preet Bharara and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other exclusive content, join the Cafe Insider membership. And for a limited time, get 50% off the annual membership price. Head over to cafe.com insider to do that. That's cafe.com insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. So should we talk about the pros and cons? So I guess on the pro side is is some idea, which I think, you know, maybe it can be overstated, that optically it gives some measure of remove for this to be done by a special prosecutor because it's not being done in the first instance, at least, by Merrick Garland, who's the appointee of Joe Biden. Do you think optically it provides any of that cushion? You know, so first we should just acknowledge that nothing will matter to Trump and to Trump's close supporters. There is literally nothing that Merrick Garland could do that could convince them that this is a fair investigation. So that said, I I do like the process here because having a special counsel means that the day-to-day supervisory decisions about how the investigation should be conducted, you know, what leads do you follow? What witnesses do you take to grand jury? Those are all being made outside of any sort of chain of authority of people who've been politically appointed. That chain of command is is not one that's seeped in people who President Biden has appointed to their positions. And I think for people who care about the integrity of work and, and believe that career people know what they are doing when they conduct investigations— that that sort of process really is a good guarantee of the integrity of the investigation. I think that's right. To me, the biggest upside, potentially, of the appointment of a special counsel, although this has limitations, is it affords some measure of protection to that person 
in terms of continuing in the position. So under the special counsel regulations that we have talked about many times in a prior life on this show with respect to Bob Mueller, you can't fire a special counsel without cause. And it's supposed to be done at the level of the attorney general. Now, I don't know how long this is going to take. And I think the biggest problem with all of this is the timing. And we'll come to that in a few minutes. But should there come a time that Merrick Garland is no longer the AG and Joe Biden is no longer the president, and there are still cases to be made or cases to be tried, the next president, whether it's Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or some other person who might want to end the investigation, there is some political cost to firing the special counsel. Remember, for all of the sturm and drang around Bob Mueller and Trump's attempts to get someone to fire him, he never fired Bob Mueller. Do you think that's a an important factor here? You know, it is. There are a lot of moving parts on this investigation, but I think you're right that that is the one big circumstantial guarantee here. The the order that authorizes the special counsel sweeps pretty broadly. It doesn't just say that the special counsel is looking at, at Trump. It says that he can look at anything that has arisen or that might directly arise from the January 6th investigation or from the Mar-a-Lago investigation. And so you can imagine that there could be other matters and that this could be a special counsel investigation that won't wrap as quickly as as Mueller wrapped his. And so having that process, I think, helps, you know, God forbid Trump wins in 2024, he'll be fully emboldened to appoint an attorney general who will kowtow to what he wants, to his demands for loyalty. And so I, I think, you know, Hoping that the existing guardrails would be effective in that situation seems to me to be a little bit naive, and I think a, a special prosecutor would be in for a rocky road in that sort of a situation. So I said before there's some limitations on these principles, and I think it's important to go through those for a second. So yeah, you have Jack Smith, who is a special counsel. We don't call him an independent counsel. That was a different statute that expired and was not renewed some years ago. He still reports to the attorney general. He has some measure of independence, but if he makes a decision to prosecute or, for that matter, to decline, Merrick Garland has a say about that, right? Merrick Garland is still the, the chief federal law enforcement officer in the country, and Jack Smith is going to be operating within the Justice Department, again, with some measure of, of independence. And if it's the case that the attorney general disagrees with a decision made by Jack Smith, that has to be reported to Congress, and we'll all learn about it. So, yeah. There's some amount of remove for Jack Smith, but at the end of the day, do you agree with me that the decision to prosecute or not prosecute Donald Trump and others ultimately is the responsibility of Merrick Garland, no matter what decision Jack Smith makes, because he can veto it or he can endorse it, right? It absolutely does remain with Merrick Garland. That's, you know, that's how these this set of regulations work. The great thing about it is that unlike the Mueller investigation, because Trump is no longer the sitting president, there's no longer a, an Office of Legal Counsel memo that says you can't indict a sitting president, so Trump can't be indicted. This will be a, a just a pure decision on the facts and law for Merrick Garland to make after the special counsel finishes his work. So another question people have been asking with respect to the pros and cons of the special counsel is, will this result in some delay? My view is, not really. I don't think it's hugely complicated, especially the Mar-a-Lago part of it is not particularly complicated. The January 6th stuff is more sprawling. It's on a slower timetable, I think. All the same people, presumably, 
prosecutors and FBI agents who have been working on it thus far within the department without a special counsel will continue to work on it. And it's probably ultimately a time saver to have all of this under one roof, under one person. What do you think of that? Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I think Garland and Smith were both very sensitive to the criticism when the idea of a special counsel had been floated for about a week before it actually happened, that criticism that it would slow things down. And and they were quick to say, you know, there will be no slowdown here. Garland said the special counsel will have all of the resources he needs. And of course, we saw that statement filed with the 11th Circuit last night that indicated that Smith was already fully up to speed. There were some news reports that I think three special grand juries were impaneled in the District of Columbia the same day that Smith's appointment was announced. And although that doesn't necessarily, you know, we don't really know, right? It's a special grand jury. It doesn't designate its purpose, but it seems likely that that could have some connection to the special counsel. It would be quite a coincidence. And so there does seem to be the appearance that he's going to move forward quickly. And and as you say, I think maybe even more quickly than the case was already proceeding, simply because he'll have this single-minded focus and and he'll be able to just be a straight arrow on it. Here's another question we get, and I I wonder what you think about it. So I'm going to let you go first. And the question is, is there anything about the appointment of the special counsel in this case that indicates something about the likelihood of a charge. There's some people speculate, well, if it didn't look like there was a good case to be made on the Mar-a-Lago side or the January 6th side, what's the purpose of appointing special counsel? There would be no political fallout in terms of the, the Trump side attacking Merrick Garland if he declined. Do you agree with that? What do you think of that? It makes sense to me that the reason to appoint a special counsel is if the case is going to move forward. That doesn't mean that indictment is a foregone conclusion. It just means that there's evidence here that makes it likely that there's a serious consideration to come down the pike. We've discussed the fact that this team has now added to the attorneys on the team, two former SDNY prosecutors, uh, David Raskin and David Rohde, both of whom have serious trial backgrounds. And it seems unlikely that they would have left their uh, prior jobs to take this on only to sort of turn a blind eye to the case. Jack Smith is that same kind of guy, right? You don't come home from The Hague just to decline on an investigation into the former president of the United States. So you've got to believe that there's some serious evidence on the table here. And from what we know publicly about the evidence, at least the Mar-a-Lago case, looks like there are very strong reasons to believe that Trump will be indicted along perhaps with others. And do you have any view about the likelihood of indictment on Mar-a-Lago versus the January 6th stuff. I have a thought about that, and it's not the purest thought. Well, I always like your impure thoughts. (laughs) Especially Thanksgiving week. Um, (laughs) This is going to be disappointing to those people who think something else, that I'm going to talk about something else. Obviously, you do justice in the proper way in every case and in every matter, right? And you don't pay attention to political wins or anything else. However, you know, prosecutors and agents are human beings. And when you're making risk assessments about the likelihood of success in a prosecution, you take into account a lot of things. And I wonder if you think that if there's enough evidence in the minds of Jack Smith and Merrick Garland to actually bring a prosecution on the Mar-a-Lago document, and you think it's a pretty good and strong case, and then four months later, you're coming to the critical point 
in making a decision about the January 6th insurrection case. And it's less strong, and it's a closer question. Do you think there's any gravitational pull at all from the first decision? In other words, the decision being made to prosecute Donald Trump, which is an extraordinary thing to do, lets them off the hook a little bit on bringing a harder, more difficult, more complicated, closer case in the second matter. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. It's sort of like prosecuting Trump for Mar-a-Lago is is that sufficient, right, to hold him accountable. The problem that I see there is that the January 6th set of facts, I mean, it's, it's such a standout in American history, right? We've never had a former president who tried to interfere with the transfer of power, tried to interfere with the electoral college count. And if the evidence warrants prosecution, and that's a big if, right? I mean, it's very difficult, all of the evidence that's necessary to connect Trump to the activity, place Trump as a decision maker. But if that evidence is there, I think you have to go ahead and prosecute him if we're really going to continue to have the principled legal system that we have. That's going to be a very tough call. It's going to be divisive. There are a lot of sorts of considerations that prosecutors don't usually take into account and maybe shouldn't take into account that come into play. But if Merrick Garland is going to live by the principles he's espoused, then if the facts are there and the the law suggests that a conviction can be obtained and sustained, I think you've got to go. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with that. I guess I'm making a slightly different point. And that is, in the assessment of likelihood of success, which, you know, some people say, and the Justice Manual says, is part of the calculation, right? If you have have a 3% chance of success, you don't go forward. I have a You know, I've I've opined in my book and elsewhere about a slight difference of opinion I have about that. But to the extent that that's one of the considerations, if it's a closer case and you already have an indictment that's strong and worthy against a particular defendant, does that affect the calculus when it's really close and you're worried about the risk of losing, which undermines public confidence, especially when you charge someone in such a high-stakes case, and probably the most significant charge ever brought, considering the nature of the defendant. So I I just wonder about that a little bit. And so, you know, my answer is a little bit the same. It's that you have to separate the two cases for that consideration. And you almost need to look at the January 6th cases, though you're deciding that without any of this other external context. And if it's a case that you would otherwise bring, you should bring it. And if it's not, you shouldn't. But but look, I recognize that that's a little bit Pollyanna-ish and that this situation is fraught and that there may be a temptation if the Mar-a-Lago case is strong to do that. It's, it's sort of like Al Capone and the tax charges, right? If you need to hold someone accountable, then you bring the strongest case that you can and you try to achieve justice that way. Can we talk about what for me is the greatest concern about how all this is going to unfold that I haven't heard a lot of people talking about much yet? And it's It's the timing. It's the sequence of events if there's a charge. Let's talk about Mar-a-Lago first. I think a decision about Mar-a-Lago will be made sooner rather than later. But even there, Jack Smith just arrived, right? It's the latter part of November. I think probably speediest case scenario. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and get 50% off the annual Cafe Insider membership price. That's cafe.com slash insider. And to the many of you who've chosen to join the Insider community, thank you for supporting our work.